good morning. Now, one of the things that we talk about at Grace Point all the time is about giving uh, grace away. That's part of our vision statement. And uh, I, I may need your grace this morning. Uh, my wife gave birth this week, so I've got a four-day-old at home, which means, uh, yeah, thank you, thank you. Which means I haven't got much sleep, wrote the outline in the wee hours of the morning. So if I, if I seem incoherent, just say amen, throw me a hallelujah, something just so I feel like I'm, I'm still accomplishing something. Um, no, I'm, I'm excited to push into uh, our Who is God series again this week and to talk about the wisdom of God. And, and so as, as we kind of intro this idea, I, I want to ask this kind of broad question about what does it mean to live as a people of wisdom? Or what does it mean to live wisely? And I think this is an incredibly important question because how we answer that question says something about the kind of people we are, the kind of life we want to live, and the kind of people we want to become. And so I think that question, what does it mean to live wisely, is incredibly important. Uh, I grew up in northwest Indiana, right where Lake Michigan dips down right in the corner uh, to Indiana. And I loved growing up in that area because Lake Michigan, although it's not the ocean, it kind of feels like the ocean. You can't see the other side. There's massive waves that roll in. And uh, so in the summers, my brothers and I would spend a lot of time out at the beach uh, just killing time. And one of the things you'll notice at certain beaches is that, they, is that they would have these signs that were posted talking about this phenomena that's known as a rip current. And a rip current happens when you have uh, two sandbars uh, with a space in the middle. And what happens is as the waves roll into the shallow water and they break over the sandbar, as the wave recedes, it's channeled right between those two sandbars. And so it creates, like this picture shows, an area of strong current right in the middle that if you're swimming and you find yourself in the rip current, it will actually pull you out to deep water. And, and people have drowned in rip currents because they've suddenly found themselves in this place where they're being pulled out to deep water. Now, what's challenging about this is when you're pulled out in that rip current, conventional wisdom might seem to suggest and kind of instinct and what feels right is to try really hard to try to swim back to shore because there's kind of this panic moment. I'm being pulled away. I want to get back to safety. I want to get back to shore. The problem is uh, that current is stronger than you are and that current has an unending amount of energy and a person will find themselves worn out until they finally uh, give way to the current. If you read the signs, however, that are posted on the beach that warn you about the rip current, what they will tell you is that you, you don't fight the current going right down the, the middle of that channel. Actually, what you do, and this kind of defies what you might think uh, conventional wisdom is, you don't swim against the current, you don't swim towards shore, you actually swim parallel to the beach. And it doesn't seem like you're accomplishing much, but what happens is you swim parallel and, and the, the current will take you a little bit and you'll be able to exit out the other side and then make your way back to safety. So once, once you've encountered the sign and they've explained this dynamic of what's happening in the water and why the current happens, and they've walked you through how to escape it, when you're swimming and you're in the water and you find yourself caught in the rip current, you suddenly have a decision that's in front of you. Will you do what feels right and will you try to fight the current because that seems like what one should do, you want to get back to safety, or will you follow the wisdom and the direction of the, the person that has written the sign with this understanding and perspective of what's going on in the water 
that you might not be privy to prior to that. And how you answer that question, whether you'll follow the wisdom and guidelines of the person who understands the big picture perspective, or whether you will do what just seems or feels right in the moment, how you, how you answer that question and what you decide to do is incredibly important because your life and well-being literally hangs in the balance. And so today as we ask this question, what does it mean and what does it look like to live as a person of wisdom, this, this same question applies. Because scripturally, we find that there are two types of wisdom. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says this. He says, we speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of, of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, Paul says, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory. In chapter 3, Paul goes on to say this. He says, do not deceive yourselves. If anyone thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And so here, Paul says there's two kinds of wisdom. He, there's what he calls the wisdom of this age. And what Paul means by that is he says at this time, at this place in culture and in history, he says there's a way of living and being in the world that our culture says is wise. But Paul says, I'm not coming to preach the message of the wisdom of this age. Paul says, no, I'm proclaiming the wisdom of God. And, and actually in chapter 3, Paul will say the wisdom of God sees the wisdom of the world as, as foolishness. And so when we talk about living wisely, there's this question before us, will, will we follow the wisdom of this age or will we trust the wisdom of God, trusting that God has perfect knowledge and perfect action, trusting that God has a bigger perspective that we don't understand? And so this question is, again, this is a vitally important question because how we answer this question of will we follow the wisdom of this age of our culture or will we follow the wisdom of God is, again, a question that hangs on the very balance of our well-being and our uh, experiencing the fullness of life. When Jesus came and started his earthly ministry, Jesus said, I've come that you might come, that you might have life to the full. And so the fullness of life, Jesus says, is found in, in him. And so the question that I want us to really think about and reflect on today is will we be the kind of people who live our lives according to the truth and the wisdom of God? Let me define the wisdom of God for us. The wisdom of God, and, and I said it once already, but I want to come back to it. The wisdom of God is the perfect knowledge and the perfect action of God. So when we talk about wisdom as an attribute of who God is, we recognize that God created all things, that God holds all things in his hand, and that God has a full perspective of the world that we live in and of everything that's taking place. But we also then believe that the way that God acts in his creation is good and right and just and pure and holy and loving, that everything that God does is good. Now, for our question, what does it mean to live according to the wisdom of God? I, I think there are two key components to what it means to live according to the wisdom of God. The first is that we are to pattern our life around the truth of God. God has revealed his, his truth to us in Scripture. He's given us his word as a pattern for the way that we're supposed to live. The question is, is will we actually pattern our life around the truth that God has given us? The second question regarding will we let the wisdom of God direct our life, is will you be willing to follow God's direction? In other words, will you live out the truth here and now? So, 
following God's wisdom in your life is about patterning your life after the truth of God and is about letting God guide and direct your steps, your path, your plan, and your purpose. Because we trust that God in his wisdom has a perspective that we don't understand and that God might call us to do things and, and, and change direction in our life in ways that sometimes doesn't make sense to us, but the question becomes, will we continue to pattern our life after God's wisdom? And this is incredibly important because the wisdom of this age and the wisdom of God are fundamentally often opposed to each other or at the very least often contrast one another in very sharp ways. In fact, uh, Paul makes no bones about it. He says, uh, the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. And so how we answer that question again is of the utmost importance. Will we pattern our life by the wisdom of God after the truth of God, letting him direct our steps? Or will we choose to follow the wisdom of this age? And it's an important question, but I, I don't think it's an easy question. Because the easy thing and, and the right church answer, the Sunday school answer is to say, oh yes, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll pattern our lives after the wisdom of God. The reality, however, is, is that to pattern our life after the wisdom of God, to trust his direction, uh, often means that we encounter some difficult places. It often means that we encounter places that are challenging. And so for the remainder of this message today, I wanna to look at what are some challenges that we face as we attempt to live our lives by the truth and direction of God and his wisdom What's a core temptation that we face in the midst of those challenges? And what are some truths that we need to hold to in the midst of patterning our lives after God's wisdom? And finally, I want to come back to this place and ask this question, okay, so then how do we respond in the midst of this? So as we embark on this and try to flesh this out, I want you to join me in the book of Exodus chapter 13. And we pick up uh, in the history of the nation of Israel at a time when Israel has been in captivity in the nation of Egypt. The nation of Egypt has oppressed them and they're using them for free labor and construction projects. And, and so they're living, the nation of Israel, in, in a uh, season of oppression and they are longing and yearning for God to bring them to a place of freedom. In Exodus chapter 13, where we're gonna be today, we pick up in the story where God has finally delivered the people of Israel and God is leading them on this journey to the promised land. God has a plan and a purpose for them that he is unfolding in their life. And the question that's in front of the nation of Israel is will they continue to trust God's wisdom and direction in their life even as they encounter some challenges? And, and I think this provides a great case study for us as we think about what it is to live our lives according to God's wisdom. Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillow of fire to give them light, so that they could travel either by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pihahirath between Migdal and the sea. 
They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite of Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion. They're hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his uh, officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We let the Israelites go and we've lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and he took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pihahirath, opposite of Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. So the Israelites uh, have been freed from the nation of Egypt and Pharaoh releases them and they set out on this journey towards the promised land, towards this place that God has said, this is the land that I have for you. And along this journey, do you notice that God doesn't give them a detailed roadmap, rather God uh, gives them enough direction for a day at a time and God begins to lead them on this journey. In the nation of Israel, they have a question put in front of them, not unlike the question that you and I face, which is, will we be a people who are willing to follow the wisdom and direction of God even when it gets difficult? And so there's some challenges that they face that I think are similar to the challenges that you and I face as we attempt to live our life according to the wisdom and direction of God. And one of the first challenges that I see in the story of the nation of Israel as they follow the wisdom and direction of God is in chapter 13, verse 17. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. So God frees them from Egypt. The Pharaoh lets them go, and he leads them towards the promised land. Now, you would think there's this foreign enemy behind you with an army that's ready to pursue. You would think the, the, the logical thing is to go right to the shortest route to the promised land, get to a place of safety. So I, I find it mind-boggling that when the nation of Egypt is, uh, lets uh, the Israelites go, God doesn't take them on the, the quickest, most direct route. It says, no, God leads them by the desert road. Now, just to show you how circumspect this is, uh, I've got a, a map that I want to show you that will help uh, flesh this out a little bit for us. Now, the nation of Israel is leaving uh, from Ramses here. There was an ancient trade route that went up uh, along the coast here. It's called the Via Maris, the Way of the Sea. The problem was, was that the Philistines, they were a, a coastal people who lived here. So God didn't lead the nation of Israel this way. This is the most direct route to get to the land of Canaan, which is up here. Instead, God leaves, leads them southeast. Now, the direction that they want to go is northeast. So if you're part of the nation of Israel, and God says, okay, I want to lead you to the land of Canaan, uh, head southeast. And you're going, but, it, it, but it's northeast. And, and so one of the first challenges that I, that I see when we follow God's wisdom and direction is that sometimes God leads us in a way that might not seem to make sense. 
that God in his wisdom will guide and redirect your life, and God might call you to something that you go, God, I'm not quite sure what you're doing. This doesn't quite make sense to me. Why would you lead us on a, on a circuitous route to this place that you've got for us? We, we just want to get to safety, but, but you're taking us in this messed up way. And, and I think for us, there's really a question of trust there. Will we continue to trust God's wisdom and direction even when the thing he calls us to doesn't seem to make sense? For me, I encountered this coming right out of, of undergrad. I'd been studying for ministry. I'd been preparing for ministry. I was excited to step into what God had for me. And God called me to this um, sleepy country church literally out in the middle of nowhere, a church of about 30 or 40 people. And, uh, you know, I came in and I, I wanted to change the world and do all of these big, great things for God. And I remember talking about, you know, what, where do we want to go as a church and what does God want to do in our community? And, and someone in the church literally told me, they said, Pastor, we're tired. We, we just want to keep doing what we're doing. And I remember thinking, God, why, why did you bring me here? Th- this doesn't make any sense. I'm passionate. I'm ready to go. Why did you lead me to this? This doesn't make sense to me at all. And, and even pragmatically, it didn't make sense. I mean, I went to a Christian college, which meant I had student loans. I probably could have made more at a fast food uh, restaurant than I did at this church. And so I'm thinking, okay, I don't know if I can pay my student loans. This church doesn't really want to go anywhere. And I remember thinking, God, what are you doing? This doesn't seem to make sense. Logically, pragmatically, spiritually, nothing about this makes sense. And I remember just this undeniable sense of the Spirit saying, no, that's exactly where you're supposed to be. And that, I will not tell you that that was an easy place for me. That was an incredibly difficult season for me. But I think there was something God was doing there. I want to come back to that later. But I think there's often places where God will call us in a way or a direction that doesn't seem to make sense. And the question before us is, will we trust that God in his wisdom is moving us in a direction that's right and good? Now, the, the second challenge, I think, that appears in the story of the nation of, of Israel that we see, too, is that there's times and places where when you follow the wisdom of God, it's going to appear foolish to the people around you. Notice what happens in uh, chapter 14, verse 2. So the nation of Israel, right, they're on this journey. Verse 2 of chapter 14. Tell the Israelites to turn back. And encamp near Pihahirath between Migdal and the sea. Now, the nation of Israel, they've been heading southeast out of the nation of Egypt. And, and, and now, this isn't a small feat. This is hundreds of thousands of people. This is an entire nation that, that Moses is leading out into the desert. And they get to this place, and, and, and God tells Moses, hey, I want you to turn back. Uh, now, if, if I'm Moses, this is where God and I have uh, what I like to call a stern conversation. You ever had one of those with God? If, if I'm Moses, I'm, I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? You want me to turn around hundreds of thousands of people and head in the exact opposite direction that we just came from. This, nothing about this makes sense. And, and, and Moses maybe even said, the text doesn't tell us, but maybe he told God, Pharaoh is going to think we're crazy. And God says, exactly. That's my plan. Notice what God says in uh, verse 3. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. So God is unfolding a plan that Moses can't yet see, but he says, I want you to turn around and go back the way that you came. And, and Pharaoh is going to think you're crazy. He's going to think you're afraid to go into the desert. 
But the people of, of, of Israel, they think Moses is crazy too. Did, did you catch what they said in verses 11 and 12? Uh, you brought us to the desert to die? I mean, they say, were there not enough graves in Egypt, so now you brought us out here and you're gonna deliver us into the hand of Pharaoh? I mean, everyone around him thinks Moses has lost it. Maybe it's too much sun exposure. I don't know, Somebody, we need to replace Moses. He's gone crazy. He wants us all to turn back. And there are times and places where when we are following the wisdom and the direction of God, it will seem foolish to people around us. And, and on a, let, me, let me use a broad, just general analogy, a couple key things. When we think about something like the principle of tithing that scripture talks about, giving away 10% of your income to the community of God, now, if you're living according to the wisdom of this world, you would look at that and you go, that is crazy. Who would give away 10% of their, their, their resources that they have? Nothing about that makes sense. And, and I'll tell you, even on the other side of tithing, it still doesn't make sense, but I've encountered the blessing of God in ways that I don't, don't make sense to me. And sometimes the world looks at the church and they say, well, the church is, is backwards thinking, the church, they're bigoted people. And so to live according to the wisdom of God is at times to appear foolish to the world around us and is perhaps even to open ourselves up to ridicule by a world that lives according to the wisdom of this age that can't understand or comprehend the wisdom of God. And I'll tell you, there, there's times in my life on a micro scale where God leads me in a direction like to that small country church and I go, okay, this doesn't make sense. I don't know what you're doing. This seems foolish. I don't even know financially if I can survive. Nothing about this makes sense. And again, the question that's in front of us as the people of God is can we trust the wisdom and the perspective of God that he knows what he's doing? And, and I think the final challenge in the midst of this is that to follow the wisdom and the direction of God takes trust and belief, takes faith and belief. We have to believe that what God says is true in his word. And we have to have faith to take action on what we believe to be true. And the reason I say that this is a challenge is because for me, to be honest, I do not find faith to be an easy thing often. Because very, uh, very frequently when God calls me to something and it doesn't make sense and it kind of seems foolish, I'm not sure what God is up to. It's an invitation of God to step into the unknown and to trust him. And there's so many times that God has guided and redirected my steps and I go, God, I have no idea what you're doing. And he says, yeah, but can you trust me? Well, maybe. It'd be a lot easier if you just show me what you were doing. And that's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, and we have to decide, will we take action? Will we live out faithfully what we believe to be true about God? That he is wise, that he holds all things in his hand. And here's why this matters, because in the, when we encounter those challenges, when we say, okay, I want to live according to God's wisdom and direction, when we encounter those challenges, the, the big temptation that's in front of us is to, uh, when we meet the challenges, abandon God's wisdom and go back to what we know. It's to say, okay, God, this is too hard. I tried to live by your wisdom. I tried to follow your direction. It's too hard. I'm going to go back to what I know. I'm going to go back to living in a way what feels right, what seems to be uh, culturally accepted ways of being. I'm just going to go back and do that. And, and this is essentially what the Israelites attempt to do. In chapter 14, they tell Moses, Were, weren't we better off in Egypt? Let's forget this whole promised land thing. Let's go back there. But listen, when, when they were in Egypt, they were not staying at the Ritz-Carlton, eating fruit and having a good time by the pool. They were in slavery. 
And now they're saying, now that they've encountered the challenges and they're not sure what God's doing, they say, oh, let's go back there. We were, we were better off. Their perspective is so distorted. And their temptation is to abandon God's direction, to assume that God doesn't know what he's doing and to go back to what they know. And, and I think there's a similar temptation for us that as God begins to guide us and direct us in his wisdom, we encounter these challenges that we go, this, nothing about this makes sense. I wanna go back to what I know. I wanna go back to what's safe. And how we answer that question, whether we continue to push into God's wisdom and to live according to his direction, or whether we go back to living according to the wisdom of this age is a crucial decision, and what hangs in the balance is our very life and well-being. Do we believe the words of Jesus when he says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full? Do we believe that or not? So what are, what are the, the, some core truths that in the middle of uh, trying to live by God's wisdom, what are some core truths that we need to hold to in the midst of this? One of the first is to recognize and to believe that God is about our formation, not just the destination. God is about our formation, not just the destination. So when I went to that small country church, I, w- I was excited to be in ministry, I was excited to have the opportunity and the scary responsibility of preaching and teaching and shepherding a congregation. At the time I was 23, I have no idea what I'm doing in life, let alone pastoring a church, and God leads me to this place, and I think, God, this doesn't make any sense, what are you doing? And I, I mentioned this before, that was, that was an incredibly hard season for me, but can I, can I tell you what? God did a work in me of molding me and shaping me for a life of ministry that I would not have been prepared for otherwise. That was a place of God forming and shaping my character, of breaking me of pride and developing in me a heart of humility. And it was a season of difficulty and it was a season of struggle for me, but it was a season in which God was forming and shaping my character in a way that I hope more closely reflects his character. And I think sometimes we get so fixated on on, on our 10-year plan, on where we're headed, and we want God to help us get there, but that we don't realize or that we fail to remember that God is not just concerned about us getting to a destination. God is concerned about the formation of our character and the people we are becoming in the process. And, And I think the same thing holds true in the language that we use to talk about salvation. Salvation is not about escaping hell and getting to heaven. Salvation is about the God of all creation forming for himself a people who reflect his image. You can't get into heaven without holiness. And so the process of being saved is a process of God restoring and recreating his image in us. And so God is about our formation, not just the place that we're heading to. And this, I think, is incredibly hard because often this means that God will lead us into a season of difficulty, maybe. If you continue to read the story of Exodus, the nation of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years. And as they wandered in the desert, here's my take on it, is that God allowed them to wander in the desert so he could form them and shape their character to be the kind of people who were ready for the blessing and the challenge that the promised land would bring. And now, if we go back to chapter 13, it says, God did not lead them on the, on the, through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. Why? Because God said, I know if they encounter war, they will turn back. I know they're not ready. I need to form and shape their character to be the kind of people who are ready for when the opposition comes. So God is about our formation, not just the destination. Secondly, I think we need to hold to this truth that God is always working in our lives in redemptive ways. 
that God is unfolding his plan of redemption in our lives. And this is to say at some level that God has our best interest at heart. That yes, God might lead us on a circuitous route to the place that he's got for us. Yes, God might allow a season of difficulty, but I have to trust that even in that place of difficulty, that God is unfolding something redemptive in my life. And the question for me is, even in that season of difficulty, can I submit my life to the redemptive plan that God is unfolding? Can I trust that God in his wisdom knows what he's doing? And I think this is closely tied to the next truth that we have to hold to, and it's this. It's that God does not function in haphazard ways. Uh, have you ever been in the car with somebody who's lost but won't admit they're lost? My wife would probably tell you that's me. And when, when they're lost and you know they're lost and you know they've missed a turn, you begin to think, does this, do they have any idea what they're doing? Do they know where they're going? I, I think they're crazy. I don't think they have a plan. I, I, they don't know what they're doing. And there's times in my life where God has led me in a direction that doesn't seem to make sense. He's led me in a way that even for some people around me might seem foolish, and I don't know what God's doing. And there's times where I want to question God and say, God, do you have any, what are you doing? Is God just flying by the seat of his pants? Is God just winging this as I go through life? And I think we have a temptation to say, maybe God is haphazard. Maybe God's not actually doing anything intentional. But I think the story of Scripture speaks so much to the contrary. From the very foundations of creation, everything that God does is intentional. God does not do anything haphazard. And so as God leads and guides and directs your life, even to some places that might not seem to make sense logically or pragmatically, can you trust that as God guides and directs you, that he's not being haphazard, but that he is intentionally unfolding a plan of redemption in your life? The next truth I think we need to hold to is the reality that God often leads a day at a time. Do you notice in, in the story of the nation of Israel, he says there's a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, and God did not give them a, a road map and say, okay, here's the next 40 years where you're going to wander through the desert, and here's how you ultimately get to the promised land. No, God led them a day at a time. And, and there, there's times in my life where I go, okay, God, I'd really like if you would just give me a 10-year plan. And often what I find is God says, hey, why don't you just take this next step? And I go, hey, that, that's fine and dandy. How about a five-year plan? No, uh, a year plan? And God just says, I'm gonna open this door, take the next step. Can you take the next step? And I think that's intentional because I know myself well enough to know that if God gave me a 10-year plan, I'd say, okay, cool, see you in 10 years. <laughs> I'll get to working on your plan. But what God wants for us is to live a life of faith where step by step we can trust his wisdom, discernment, and direction in our lives. We can trust that God understands the big picture perspective that we can't see and that God will guide us in a way that's intentional, redemptive, and good. Finally, and this might be the core truth among all of these, we have to hold to the reality that God will not abandon his people. Because I think the temptation to turn back from God's wisdom and to go back to what we know, to what's safe and secure, I think part of that temptation is driven by the reality that maybe God doesn't know what he's doing and maybe God has left us out here. Maybe God has just left us out to dry. But over and over again throughout Scripture, we see that God is faithful and that God will never abandon his people. Do you notice what Moses says? In his rally, the troop speech in chapter 14 and verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm. You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. 
Moses says, no, 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 God has not abandoned us. God is right here. And you're going to see something amazing that you can't even begin to comprehend. You will see his deliverance. One of of my favorite parts in this whole story is actually chapter 13 and verse 19. We probably, uh, we kind of skipped over it, but it says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him out of Egypt to the promised land because Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He said, God will surely come to your aid. Then you must carry my bones up from this place. I love the legacy and the life of faith and trust that Joseph has. He knows that God has not abandoned his people. He says, listen, I'm going to die in Egypt, but he goes, swear to me. You swear to me that when God delivers, and I know God will deliver, get my bones out of this place and take them to the promised land. This is the kind of life of faith that I find myself so incredibly challenged by. Joseph didn't even get to see the fruition of God's plan. He was buried in a place of slavery, but he said, I know God will deliver, and I trust that God has not abandoned his people. And listen, if you are in a season of life in a place that is difficult and you feel like God has left you there, can I tell you that God has not abandoned you there? Even though it feels like it, even though emotionally you go, God, I have no idea what you're doing, I promise you he has not abandoned you there. And he continues to unfold a good plan in your life that is redemptive, that is holy, that is just, that is true. So here's, I think, the question that I hope we're asking is, What's our response? How do we navigate this place? What do we do? And I, my, my goal is not to leave you with a simple formula because it's always more complicated than a formula. It's not that easy. But I want to leave you with some things that I think are incredibly important as we think about what it means to follow the wisdom of God. And so the first one I want to, I want to leave us with in our response is to seek. To seek God's wisdom. And I, I find it fascinating to me that often the most simple things are the hardest to do. And so, yes, it sounds like, when I say seek God's wisdom, it sounds like, well, well, duh, like you could have led with that. It's easy. But how many decisions on a greater, lesser scale do we make in the ins and outs of a day that we don't even consult God's perspective on? At the start of a day, what if, what if we started a day and said, God, I want to be open to your plan, purpose, and direction today? What if the next time that you were making a big purchase as a family, what if you said, God, give us wisdom to know how, what right vehicle we should purchase or, or what home we should purchase or where we should live? What if we simply invited God into the process of everyday living and sought his wisdom on, on everyday things? Part of seeking God's wisdom too, I think, is, is being a people whose lives are saturated in prayer and whose lives are saturated in the word. I mean, this right here is, is, is full of God's wisdom. And I think, I'm just going to say this, a little off, uh, off tangent. I think one of the biggest oppositions to living a life of wisdom is the overconsumption of good things around us. It's the overconsumption of media. It's all of these things that distract us from living life intentionally. It's so much easier to go home and binge watch Netflix for five hours than to seek God's wisdom about what's coming up in our lives. I think we're so good and so adept at self-medicating and avoiding difficult things that we have forgotten what it is to be disciplined to push into seeking a life that's saturated in scripture and in prayer and in seeking God's wisdom. Honestly, I think that's a cultural sin that God needs to bring redemption to. So here's the question. Will we be the kind of people who seek the wisdom of God? The second thing, uh, response, is to surround yourself with people of godly wisdom. And what I'm not saying, I'm not saying is you shouldn't have any non-Christian friends, you should only have Christian friends. That is not at all what I'm saying. What I am saying is that all of us need people in our lives who we know are pursuing God, who we know are following his wisdom, who can speak truth into our lives. 
I, I have a mentor that I meet with about once, once a month. He's not a pastor. He lives right here in Brookings. But it's someone whom I, I highly respect as someone who is pursuing God wholeheartedly. And once a month, we sit down, and I, I ask him questions about ministry and leadership and life. And, and I'll ask him, hey, tell me, if, tell me where I'm missing the boat. What do you see in me that's not good, that's not healthy? Because I am not naive enough to think that I cannot be self-deceived, that I know all my blind spots. I don't. We have to surround ourselves with people of godly wisdom who are discerning, and not even necessarily people who agree with us. We need people who will speak the truth to us. I think the third way we can respond is, is to submit. And what I mean is to submit your plan to God's purpose. And notice I didn't say submit your plan to God's plan because it's not as if we say, okay, God, I'm giving up my plan. Now give me, give me your full plan. Because when you submit your plan to God, he's probably not gonna give you a 10-year plan, but God will tell you, I have a purpose for you. Can you trust me? And so I think there's times and places where we've been doing life in our own wisdom saying, okay, I've got this figured out. I'm gonna chart a course. I'm gonna head out there. And God says, listen, can you submit your plan to my purpose? The last way I think we can respond is this, is to stand firm. Do you notice what Moses said in chapter 14, verse 13? Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm. In other words, Moses says, persevere in this. Persevere in this. And so I think submission and, and uh, standing are in tension with each other. I think for some of us, there are places in our lives where God is saying, hey, I need you to sur submit and surrender this place to me. Will you trust your plan to my purpose? And so maybe here this morning as you're thinking about this and reflecting about it, maybe there's a place where God's saying, hey, submit that to my control. For others of us, maybe there's something that God has called you to and God has redirected your course and God has said, this is what I have for you. And maybe you're at that point where you're saying, God, I don't want to hold to this. I want to go back to what I know. I want to go back to what's safe. And maybe today God is saying, stand firm, persevere in the thing that I've called you to. So where are you at this morning? The, the band is gonna lead this in this song, Be Thou My Vision. And, and don't let this be a time where, where, let this be a reflective moment, please. And think about, is there something that God is calling you to surrender to him, to say, God, I trust your wisdom in this place? Is there a place where God has called you and he's saying, stand firm in this. I've guided you there in wisdom. Persevere in the thing that I've called you to. Or maybe God is just impressing on your heart, seek my wisdom. You're tempted to do it alone. You're tempted to strive on your own strength, but seek my wisdom. And if you need someone to pray for you this morning, right through those doors, we've got a prayer team of people who would be more than happy to spend some time praying with you. And so there's a tangible opportunity right now to surround yourself with people of godly wisdom and to be prayed for. What's God doing in your heart and life this morning? Do we trust him enough that when God says, will you step with me into the unknown, that a good God has his hand out there saying, trust me. I've got your best interest at heart.